Well, good morning, Northside. It is so nice to be here. It has been since 2017 that Lynn and I were able to be with you. It's fun to see people that we know and love, people that we've become acquainted with, and a lot of new people, people as well. My name is Ray. Apparently, I'm the worst half of the duo, but it is so fun to be here. Pastor Joel, thank you for allowing us to come and entrusting this pulpit to us this morning. You know, when I was a pastor for 42 years, as Pastor Joel said, I know you're thinking, 42 years, what'd you start when you were five years old? Thank you. Um, I was always, I think, most nervous when we had a guest speaker because I just didn't know what they were going to do or how long they were going to go. And so thank you for entrusting uh, us with the service today. And I just got to tell you, there's something exciting in this place. I loved worship. I loved sensing the presence of the Lord. I loved it, Pastor Joel, when you led us in that celebration, that victory dance. I wanted to join you, but um, I'm old now, and I would have pulled something, and then I couldn't preach, so I just did it for all of you. Otherwise, I would have been dead. But, but the, the hair on my arms was standing on end, and I felt the Holy Spirit in that moment. I really did. I'm not just making this up just to, to ingratiate myself to you. Really, I, I sensed the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit whispered to me something I want to give to you for whatever this is worth to, to Pastor Joel and Sonia. The Lord said, I've got this. I've got this. And I've got you. And he said, I've got this church. I've got you. So whatever that means to you, the Lord has got this. And he's got great things in store for this church. So it's been since 2017. It feels like it's not that long, but it feels longer in some ways. We've been through a couple of COVID years. And you know, COVID years are kind of like dog years. They're measured by seven years. So I think it's been like 20 years since we've been here. But anyway, what a delight to be with you. And I'm here today to talk about missions. I'm not so much going to talk about Petros. Uh, Linda did that for you, but I just want to talk about missions. And that was what Pastor Joel asked me to talk about today. And I am delighted to do that now that I am a missionary. I'm actually a false missionary, a full missionary. I'm a pastor, but now I go and I do missions. And the real missionaries go and stay, and, and they live a much tougher life uh, than I do. Someone has said, and I think rightly so, that the greatness of a church is not in its seating capacity, but in its sending capacity. And this church has been a sending church. And in my book, this is a great church and it will be great in the future. And your best days are just, just ahead of you because for one reason, because you are a missional church. And I want to talk about that today. So let's talk about missions. And I want to talk specifically about this is why we go. This is why we do missions. And I want to base this on four great statements that Jesus gave us. So I want to give you the first three pretty quickly, and then I'll come back and spend a little bit more time on the fourth. But here is the first statement, and it's what we call the Great Commission. Some of you have heard that phrase before. Some of you are new, and maybe you don't, but there was a wonderful statement that Jesus left, a command, really. He left his followers, and we call that the Great Commission. And this is what Jesus said. He said, go, all authority has been given to me. Now, I'm authorizing you. I'm commanding you, commissioning you to go and make disciples of all nations. Say that word with me, all, that phrase, all nations. Let's say it together, all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you. Always. When you go, I'm always with you, even to the end of the age. The second statement that Jesus gave us is what I call the great empowerment. And some of you would know this really well. Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you 
Not so that you can speak in tongues. Not so that the gifts of the Spirit can be operational in your church. Those things happen and those are wonderful. But why will we receive the Holy Spirit? So that you will be my witnesses. The Greek word there for witnesses is martyr. You, in that great news, you'll be my martyrs. And sometimes we're called upon to die. Some of our church planners in East Africa have been killed for their faith, even recently. But also a martyr is one who gives their life in living for the gospel. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Coquitlam, right? In Judea, in the Vancouver area, Samaria, that would be British Columbia, and to the ends of the earth, to the very ends of the earth. The third great statement that Jesus made is what I call the great vision. Matthew chapter uh, 24, verse 14, where Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. This is why we go. This is why we go. These are our missional underpinnings, if you will, the foundation for who we are, the framework of what we do. This is your mission, by the way. If you're wondering, what is the mission of this church? What is my mission? This is your mission. But unlike the the movie or the show, Mission Impossible, you don't have an option whether to accept your mission or not. You were chosen to advance this mission. You were chosen to advance this mission. You know, as a pastor, I was routinely asked, can you describe the mission of the church? What's your vision for the church? What makes your mission unique? And I was asked that question uh, by a lot of people in a lot of ways a lot of time. I was asked by ministry staff wanting to get my picture of where the church was headed. I was asked by prospective church members who wanted to know why they should join our church as opposed to another church down the street or across the city. I was asked by pastors interviewing to be on our ministry team, asked by a lot of people. And the frequency of that question led me to conclude that it had become the defining question in Christian culture to gauge whether a church was worth attending or, or, or worth, you know, being a part of supporting or, or, or whatever. Was this what, this was the defining question that, that determined whether the church was valuable or not. And the reason that question was asked these days is because modern business theory now informs the church. You see, in the last 40 years, a core ten, ten, tenet of business theory is that organizations must have a pithy mission statement to be successful and to be competitive. So following the lead of business, churches have now become brand conscious. We think ministry can't thrive without a memorable mission statement. So what is your mission? Is the defining question that that kingdom leaders now ask of their organizations. Now, to be sure, to be sure, I'm in favor of of clarifying and declaring the mission of, of the church, the purpose, the vision, whatever. I'm in favor of that. I think that's a good thing. But wouldn't a better question be than asking, what is our mission? Since the church belongs to God, wouldn't a better question be, God, what is your mission for our church? Instead of coming up with our own, why don't we say, God, what is your mission, vision, purpose for the church? What have you called Northside to be and to do? That is the better question. Now, now here's the thing. 
God has already defined what your mission is. Now, it's appropriate that you would determine how God's mission is to work out in your particular context. But, but since it's God's church and God has given you a mission already, then you must always, always, always measure everything. Your identity, your structure, your style, your strategies, your activities, your results, your budget, your expenditures, everything against the plumb line of God's mission. I think Pastor Joel needs to do that. The staff needs to do that. The council needs to do that. You need to do that for your church and for your life, measuring everything against the plumb line of God's mission. Since God purposely, deliberately, intentionally, strategically originated the mission, then it's the missio day, the mission of God, the mission of God that ought to be Northside's compelling North Star to guide you in what God has called you to do. God's mission is your mission. There's a brilliant missiologist, that's someone who studies and talks about missions, uh, by the name of Chris Wright, who said the mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. It's not that God has a mission for the church in the world. God has a church for the mission in the world, his mission. And I would say that about each of you individually, together corporate, together individually, we make up the church corporately, but I would say that for you individually as well. It's not that God has created a mission for you. He's created you for a mission, his mission. So then what is the missio day? What is the mission of the church? Well, it's simply this, God's glorious rule over a redeemed creation. That's what God is about, that his glory be exalted and that people come under the glory, the glorious rule as redeemed people. That is the mission of God, God's glorious rule over a redeemed creation. Now, you grasp that, you grasp that and you will understand God and, and you will find the mission of God's people and you will discover your mission in life as well the glorious rule of God over a redeemed creation. Now, the great commission, the great empowerment, and the great vision all lead to the fourth great statement that I wanna give to you today, and that's what I would call the great assignment. In John chapter 17 and verse 18, right before Jesus was to go to the cross and die, he knew he was gonna die. He knew that he had completed the task to that point that God the Father had given him. He's praying, beautiful chapter, John chapter 17. We often refer to it as Christ's high, Jesus' high priestly prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's pouring out his heart about the things that are most important to him, to the Father. And in verse 18, he said, in the same way, Father, that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them, I now give them, my disciples, a mission in the world. And then after he rose from the grave in John chapter 20, verse 21, he says to the disciples, as the father sent me, now I am sending you. Missionaries are sent ones. They're sent with a message. They're sent with the good news. And so they leave their home and they cross borders to take the news, the good news. They leave their home and they cross the fence line. They cross the street. They cross the city. They cross the province. They cross the oceans. Missionaries are sent ones. And Jesus said, as the Father sent me as a missionary, I left heaven, I embedded in earth. I now give you, I am sending you 
on a mission. So Jesus came as a missionary. He's a missionary Messiah. He came as a missionary to die a death that we deserve so that we could be welcomed back into the Father's glorious rule as redeemed creatures, as redeemed men and women. And now, and now, he is sending us, his redeemed people, you and me, into the world as emissaries, as bearers of that message. So our job then, our mission is to call sinners near and far back into the blessings of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So God has defined for you what you are to be and what you are to do in this world. Now, your job is not only to pray for people who go as missionaries, it's not only to, to give resources so, that they can, so they can go, but you too, you too are sent by Jesus. You are a missionary in this world. Do you understand that? Do you get that? Is that clear to you? Raise your right hand. I'm gonna swear you in as missionaries today. I'm, I'm joking, you don't have to do that. We have been sent as our assignment. assignment. We are missionaries in this world. You are missionaries of a glorious mission and your mission field starts the moment you walk out of this church and through the doors. That's where mission starts. It's not just about overseas, although that's a big part of it. It's about going where Jesus sends you. It's embedding and then proclaiming where Jesus has put you. The great reformer, Martin Luther, said, every Christian has the duty to be a missionary to his neighbor. That's where it starts. And that is Northside's mission. That's Northside's mission. To the people of this community, to the larger metropolitan complex, and to the world. That's Northside's mission. And that's your mission. And I hope today, I hope that is clear or will become clear to you, if it's not, by the time this service is over. Jesus was sent to accomplish a mission. And now he's sending us personally and collectively to finish the task. We've been assigned to finish the task. Now, from these four great statements come three missional underpinnings for the mission of this church. So I want to just very quickly give you these three if you're taking notes. And I really would challenge you to think about these. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for, for my life, my family? What, what does this mean for our church? So let me begin with the most foundational of these, of these missional convictions or these missional underpinnings. And, and number one is simply this, that lost people matter to God. I know that sounds simple, but sometimes we, we wander from that. We forget that. But lost people matter to God. God's heart beats for the salvation of the lost. He desires to redeem people who will be brought back into the blessings of his glorious rule. The apostle Peter says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Yet as clear as that is in the great commission and the great empowerment and the great vision and the great assignment, I think we tend to lose focus and we drift from what God is so passionate about. You've heard of mission drift? Companies and churches often drift from their stated mission. I think Christians, the Christian church, drifts from the mission of God, that we would be missionaries bringing redeemed people back under the glorious rule of God. 
And so if lost people matter that deeply to God, shouldn't they matter deeply to us as well? Shouldn't our heart beat with excitement for the salvation of the lost? It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter where they are. Since they bear the image of God, as messed up as that image might be, they still bear the image of God. Their salvation matters. And so reaching them both near and far must be the number one driving force of our missional mandate. That must be the number one driving force of Northside. That lost people matter to God and it's our job to invite them back under God's glorious rule. So that's foundational. That's foundational. Then number two, our missional target or our mission's target must prioritize the unreached. We have to prioritize people that have never heard the gospel, never had a chance to hear of Jesus before. That too is a compelling call in these four great statements to push further and further and further to the outer edges of the world to declare the gospel to, as the Great Commission said, as the Great Vision said, to all nations. We are to make disciples of the, in the Greek uh, in the Greek text, it is the panta ta ethne, the ethne. What does that mean? You've heard of the, the word ethnic, ethnic groups. And so what that is referring to, scholars believe, and I believe this as well, is, re, is referring the ethnic groups, the people groups, it's referring to the unreached people groups of the world. I have a friend who's a brilliant missiologist. And, and this is what he says, because you're saying, well, aren't, aren't all people lost, equally lost? Aren't, the, aren't my neighbors who don't know Jesus, aren't they as lost as people who have never heard before? And this is what Alan Johnson says, says. He says, all people are equally lost, but not all people have equal access to the gospel. And there's just something unfair about that, wouldn't you say? There's just something unfair. I think God's heart is broken by the fact that people haven't had a chance, at least a chance, to hear the good news. And so Alan Johnson says something very radical. And I, I boy, the, the longer I go on this, the more I agree with this. He calls for the revitalizing of the concept of missions as planting the church where it's not found. That's missions. Planting the church where it's not found. Oswald Smith, a Canadian man who pastored the church for many, many years in Toronto, the People's Church, put it more bluntly. He said, no one has the right to hear the gospel twice while there remains someone who has not heard it once. That's why the passion of Linda and me and the Petros Network is to plant a church within walking distance of every human being on earth. Now, that's a pretty tall order, wouldn't you say? Can we do that? Will, will God enable us to do that? I don't know, but why not pray and why not ask, right? And, and at the very least, my, our prayer is that God would use us to unleash church planting movements so that before Jesus comes back, there will be a church planted within walking distance of every human being. Friends, literally thousands of people groups still have no access to a gospel, uh, a gospel preaching church. It's just counter to God's heart, as Linda said, that where a person is born would limit their access to Jesus. That's just counter to the heart of God. According to the Joshua Project, who studies these matters, missional, missional matters, of the 17,041 people groups in the world, 7,078 are still unreached. That means over 7,000, almost over 40%, almost 50% of people groups, unique people groups in the world, 
have less than 2% of that people group, less than 2% of that people group who are evangelical Christians or who have heard the evangelical message. They're an unreached people group. That represents, as Linda said, 42% of the world's population or 3.2 billion people in the world today with no access to the good news. Sadly, one in 10 missionaries, only one in 10 missionaries that goes out from the church, from the Western church primarily these days, goes to the unreached. Over 40% of the world has never heard the gospel, and yet we send nine out of 10 missionaries to countries that are already evangelized. Well, less than two cents of every missions dollar. Now, of all the, all the money that goes toward missions in the church, it's, it's just a fraction of the amount of, of, of money that is spent in the church or on the church. And just a small fraction goes to mission and, and missions. And, and of the money that goes to missions, only two cents of every dollar goes to reach the unreached. I'm not saying that we need to do with other missions. I'm just saying we need to elevate. We need to elevate our game. We need to increase our effort. We need to become more passionate and intensive about sending to the unreached. So as we rightly grasp the Missio Dei, our priority will begin to shift from in our, in our spending, in our sending, in our praying to unreached people. And it's not an either or thing. It's just a matter of our focus. Where are we going to begin to focus our mission's effort? Jesus commanded us to go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. He promised the Holy Spirit to enable our witness to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the end of the earth in Acts chapter one, verse eight. The word, the Greek word for end of the earth or uttermost, as some older translations say, is the word eschaton, Greek eschaton. You've heard of eschatology, the study of the end times. The eschaton in this context means the the very last place on earth to be reached. You find the end of the world and then you, you go five miles beyond and you find the real end, the eschaton, the end of the end of the world. And that was the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming and falling upon the church so that we would ultimately take the gospel to the very ends of the earth. There's no other conclusion except to acknowledge that God places the highest premium on taking the gospel to people who have never, ever heard before. And I believe that's why Northside exists. And historically, in the last 10 years anyway, you have been a significant part of that. But I think that is what your future holds for you as well. It's not my call. I'm not the pastor. I'm not your bishop. I'm not your apostle. But, but knowing you and, and knowing, knowing the business of God, I believe that's, that's the North Star that God has placed before Northside. Romans chapter 9, verse 17, I think is your prophetic mandate, Pastor Joel. Paul says, I've raised you up for this very purpose, to display my power in you so that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. That is why we go. That is why we go. And then finally, when we go with the gospel, Jesus goes with us. When we go with the gospel, whether it's across the street or to the unreached, Jesus goes with us. The Great Commission ends with this great promise. And surely, Jesus says, surely I am with you to the very end of the age. So, whether we go across the fence line or across the street 
We're across the sea with the gospel. God has gone before us. He's already there. And God goes with us. That's his promise. Jesus goes with us. Surely I'm with you as you go. And here's what's really cool about this. God stays after we've completed our task to finish what we've started. See, it's not just about us accomplishing it. He will accomplish it through us and for us. And, and if we only knew the work, that our, uh, the work of God, that our missional obedience and praying for missions and going on mission and, and giving to admissions, if we only knew the work that that unleashes, the work of God, we would become more passionately, intensely missionary than ever before. God goes before us, God goes with us, and then God stays after we're done with our part to finish what we started. It reminds me of a, an old couple in Portland Christian Center where I pastored. Um, their names were Alan and Donna Page. Uh, he had been a pastor back in the day. He had pastored two or three very small rural churches and they had left the ministry, but they loved Jesus and they ended up in Portland and they, they ended up in our church and they were the kind of people that were probably in the very back row. They were very quiet, um, unassuming. Um, they would slip out after the service. So they weren't super visible and engaged, but I got to know them, Alan and Donna Page. They had cobbled together some resources. They weren't wealthy. They cobbled together some resources when we first launched this Petros uh, church planning mission. And they sponsored one of our church planners. I think it was back in the day, it was probably two $2,500. And they came, they came up with that. And they, they said, we want to send one of these church planners into an unreached village. And then uh, a little bit after that, they said, and we want to buy, because we did a, a program to buy study Bibles for all of these missionaries. Many of them, uh, indigenous church planners, many of them didn't have a Bible of their own. They certainly didn't have study Bibles. And so we, we ha had an opportunity to provide them study Bibles, which we did. And I, it cost, a, I think, $25 to, to do that. And so they, they put together $25 and they bought a study Bible for their church planner. They never met them. They didn't know much about them but they did it. They, they were obedient. They invested. They, they, they went by their giving and by their praying. Fast forward 10 years. Last year, uh, Lynn and I, after the COVID shutdown, we couldn't travel. We went to uh, Africa. We were in Uganda and we were then in Ethiopia and we were there for about five weeks. Uh, just left the church uh, and went to Petros full-time. Linda had been in Petros already full-time for a year. And uh, on our last week, uh, Linda was training our Ethiopian team at a, at a business complex, and I had stayed behind at the hotel, and, and I had had uh, some of our mission leaders in the Assemblies of God, which is my denomination, and uh, they had said, you need to meet the new Ethiopian general superintendent or general secretary, the head of the denomination for the nation. Said he's a young guy, he's humble, but he's really a powerful leader, and we think you ought to meet him. I said, great, I, I, would, love to, I would love to meet him. And so uh, our national leader in Ethiopia arranged for this guy to come meet me, and so he brought him over to our hotel. And uh, he walked in and he's this, uh, there's a picture of him there, the tall, good looking guy. No, not me, the other tall, good looking guy. And he's holding the study Bible, by the way. Anyway, he's the guy, he's the guy that Alan and Donna Page had sponsored. They had no idea. This guy joined our, our ministry as a young man. Uh, he came up to our, one of our first trainings. Um, he was with uh, 12 other Assembly of God pastors. We also uh, sponsored Foursquare, Zion. Uh, all, we, we work with 114 denominations. 
Anyway, uh, he came up and he said, I just looked around at, there were like three or 400 missionaries, church planners there. And he said, I'd never seen anything like this. I didn't know there was such a movement of it as this. And it just inspired me. And then I got my study Bible and that and I'd been praying for one. I had no way of getting one. And, and one was placed in my hand. He said, I went out and I planted a church. And then, then after a bit, I planted another church and I planted another, I planted four churches. And then I was elected to be the superintendent of our entire denomination. And, and so when he had first walked into the, uh, to the hotel, I, I stood up to meet him and he says, my name is Ayansa Absi. Ayansa Absi, and I'm the general secretary of the Assemblies of God of Ethiopia, and I'm missionary number 357 of the Petros Network. I didn't know that. I didn't know this was him and what had become of his life. And my jaw dropped down to my chest, and I was like, oh my goodness. And I looked at our national leader, and I said, did you know that he was one of ours, that he came out of our ranks? And he said, oh yeah, I knew that. And I said, didn't you think that important enough to tell me? What's wrong with you? And then he talked about receiving this Bible from this couple. And anyway, he said, listen, this year alone, this was in June, he said, this year alone, the first half of the year, we have trained our church members to share their faith, and we have already witnessed, and we recorded, we have witnessed to 800,000 people already. And we have, so far this year, we have planted 50 churches. And I want to thank this couple that sponsored me. And he said, by the time we get to 2025, we will have witnessed to 20 million Ethiopians who have never heard of Jesus. 20 million, and we will sponsor, we will plant 2,000 churches. So, wow, wow, this is amazing. Well, we flew back home. I called up the, the pages, and I said, hey, can I come see you? And she said, yeah, please, and, and would you bring a communion set? Because Alan is on his deathbed. He's going to die within hours, if, if not a few days. And so I went over, and I gave final communion to Alan. He's on a bed. He's, he can't get up. He can't talk. He's, he's awake, and he's conscious, but but he, you know, he couldn't speak to me. And I, so I'm telling him this story of Ayansa Opsi. I said, you had no idea when you sponsored this church planner. You had no idea when you were praying for him. You had no idea when you gave him a study Bible what God was gonna do. And because of what you did, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people have come to know Jesus. And Alan, when you, when you leave this life and you enter into the eternal kingdom, people will be there and they will say, thank you, Alan, for giving to the Lord. I'm the fruit of what you did. And as I'm telling him this story, he's, he's raising his hands with just the little bit of strength that he had. He's crying and he's just saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It doesn't always work that way. But you never know. Because here's the promise. When you go with the gospel, when you go by your giving, literally, literally by going wherever you go, by your sending, by your resourcing, God goes before you, Jesus is with you, and he finishes what you have started. And only eternity will tell the full story of what that means. And so Linda and I challenge you today to do whatever it takes Wherever you are on the faith continuum, wherever you are in your walk with Jesus, maybe you're a brand new Christian, maybe you've been you know, following the Lord for 50 or 60 years, that you would turn up the dial on your intensity of becoming a missional person. God created you for his mission. And there is nothing like being on mission with God.
can I pray with you? Would you bow your heads? And Pastor Joel will come back in a moment. But if you, if you in, in this moment would just say, God, I don't know what this means for me. I don't know if you're calling me across the street, across the fence line, across the city to do something, or if you're gonna call me to go on a, on a third world mission plunge. I don't know what that means, but God, I'm willing. I'm just willing to be open to you. I'm willing to pray about this. I'm willing to ask God, what would you have me to do to get on mission with you? With your heads bowed, just shutting yourself in with the Lord. If you would just say, if you would just say, I'm willing to ask. I'm willing to ask the Lord what he wants of me to be on mission with him. Would you just turn your palms upward to the Lord just in a receiving posture? I'm not, I'm, again, I'm not asking you to commit to something specifically. I'm just saying, God, I'm, I'm just saying, if you would say, God, I, whatever you call me to do, I'm willing to do. Just turn your palms upward in your lap and, and just offer your life to Jesus right now. Jesus, we humble ourselves before you. We bow our heads we bowed our hearts and we're allowing you to speak to us in this moment. And there are people in this room that are longtime followers of you and they've been involved in missions in some way and they're just raising their hands, turning them upward to say, God, what next? What next? I wanna be on mission with you. And there are some people here that are brand new to walking with you and they don't even maybe understand what missions really is, but their hands are turned upward and they're just in a posture of surrender and saying, God, here's my life. Here's my life. You show me what you want me to do, whether it's to take this good news across the fence, across the street, across the city, across the nation, across the world. You show me, God, and I'll do it. So God, we commit our lives to you. We give them back to you. Lord, you didn't create a mission for us. You created us for a mission your mission. And so we surrender to that gladly, thankfully, in Jesus' name. And everyone said...